Greetings, what is up everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is Ryan Burns, coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. This is episode 30 of the Browns Note Podcast. This is week 7 of the 2015 season, and of course, this is coming off a, I mean, it wasn't a heartbreaking loss for me. I'm sure if you haven't been a Browns fan for as long as I have, you were a little more pained by it. Uh, Let's welcome in someone who I know because he already texted me was uh, emotionally disheveled for a few hours following that loss to the Broncos, the hated Denver Broncos this weekend. Mr. Brendan Leister from the heart of Ohio. You can follow him at Brendan Leister. He's getting ready for a big game this week on his side, but what are we going to do with these Browns, my friend? Um, just hope that they come out playing well against uh, St. Louis Rams. Yep, I was pretty upset about last week. How are you doing, man? <laughs> I'm all right. You know, I guess I'm just used to seeing it, and especially against the Broncos, it just felt like uh, it felt like it was going where it was supposed to go into a a crushing, soul sucking last second or overtime loss. Uh, so at least we're consistent as a group. Two and four now, of course. In the AFC North, we're third with Baltimore just falling completely af- apart at one and five. And, you know, obviously there are any number of ways you could look at what we've seen so far from the Browns in this first third of the regular season, Uh, two and four being the most real of them, of course. But as I'm sure any number of people have tweeted out over the past couple days, there are also about three plays from being four and two or five and one. And, you know, it's all well and good to say that, but it feels like we've been saying that a lot for a long time. And so, of course, we've run into the portion of the season where – a lot of people seem to be thinking that, well, it's never going to get any better. Mike Pettin and Ray Farmer both suck. Everybody has to go. Let's start all over again. And I'll just tell you, I'm not anywhere near that boat, much less getting on it. Um, you know, I have my questions. I have my doubts. But I also, personally, I think it takes longer than this. I really do. I know there are a lot of people that just say that that's Pollyanna-ish and Kool-Aid drinking and whatever. I've been watching this team for 40 years. I have some idea of what I'm talking about. I might be wrong. Maybe these guys all suck. I'm willing to concede that that's eminently possible. In fact, there's plenty of evidence that it's the case. But I also think that if you look at the entire picture, it's awfully hard to expect a hell of a lot more out of this group, aside from finishing. And to me, learning how to finish is what takes the... That, that is the proverbial getting over the hump for a football team. And, uh, you know, again, I go back to, I'm not sure what everybody expected from this season, but... You know, it's funny when you get into games and suddenly they're competitive in games that most of these people didn't think were going to be competitive to begin with. Now all of a sudden the Browns suck, not because they're not competitive, but because they can't finish off undefeated teams led by Peyton Manning. And uh, to me, it's just sort of interesting. The target moves a little bit because the improvement to me in almost all areas is evident. The one area where I think everybody would agree it's a frigging disaster is the run defense. And I just wanted to talk to you about that a little bit before we get too deep into it because we saw it again this weekend against Denver. They just couldn't stop anybody. And, uh, you know, 3.3 yards of carry for the Browns, 4.6 for Denver, the same number of carries. I mean, that's a huge difference in the game. And you're talking about 152 yards given up. Ronnie Hillman goes for 111 yards on 20 carry. I mean, Ronnie Hillman. These guys haven't run the ball at all this year. And supposedly they're making some, some you know, adjustments as to personnel usage along the line. But what did you see this weekend? Because I'm sure you were maddened by it as I was. What did you see from the run defense this week? Did you see anything that looks like a trend in the right direction? Or are we still just kind of grasping for answers out here? 
while I was watching the game, I felt like there were less of the long runs than we've seen in the past, maybe. But it just felt, once again, like a lot of consistent gashing by the other team. There's way too much of guys being stuck on blocks, struggling to shed blocks, struggling to set the edge, missing tackles. There's just too much of all of that. And when even if, you know, like I've said before, if nine guys do their job on a play and two of them mess up, if it's the wrong two, the play might go for 50 yards just because those two guys messed up. You know, it goes the same way if 10 guys do their job. You know, that's that's the way football is. It's the ultimate team sport. And if you don't have 11 guys all executing all at once, then you're going to have issues. That's just the way it is. It works that way, especially on offensive line, on you know, especially up front on defense, because that is a unit that needs to play well together. If one guy messes up, it can be a huge disaster for the entire unit. Yeah, so you that's know, what I've seen for the most part. Yeah, that's one of those things that you can really see, in my view, a lot better when you're at a game or if you're watching the broad, you know, the 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 pulled back camera angle, whatever you want to call it, the one where the wide angle where you can see the whole field because. When you go to a football game, you can really see when a defense is well-coordinated. You know what I mean? You can see the whole field, and you can see things flowing and moving together like a unit. It's almost like a ballet performance. I mean, I don't mean to get too touchy-feely with it, but everything when you're dealing with a great defense, when you used to watch a team like the really good Ravens defenses or like even this Broncos defense that they played, um, you can see that stuff. You can just see the whole unit moving as one and filling lanes where they're supposed to. And I don't see that. And I guess I feel like I know defense better than I know offense. And I'm watching this this team, and I'll keep rewatching the games. And what's striking me is that I really don't know what they're trying to accomplish. Like I don't understand what they're doing. And that to me is a big red flag. Like if I, I mean, I know what they say they're trying to do, and I see them lining up in formations and all that. But as we've discussed, some of the way they use these guys or don't use them is really perplexing to me. And so I, I just continue to think as I think a lot of people do, that, that O'Neal, Jim O'Neill, the defensive coordinator, feels like he's just a little bit in over his head to me. I mean, this is not a personal attack. The guy, I'm sure, is a nice guy and all that. But this is a results business, and you can't be 32nd against the run when your coaching regime comes in being touted as a defensive philosophy-based you know, based group. And that's what this group was. So it'll be interesting to see as we go through the remaining 11 games of the year. If there's not improvement, I mean, it seems to me that O'Neill has to go. And if he doesn't because Pettin decides he's going to, you know, stick to his boy, well, then I, then I think it becomes a different question about whether or not you're letting the head coach go because he's too stubborn to see what's going on. I mean, so hopefully there will be improvement in these questions you just sort of work themselves out. But uh, I know that's probably a lot to hope for here, <laughs> given that we're Browns fans. <laughs> Excuse me, but let's talk about the rest of what we saw real quickly in this 26-23 overtime loss to the Denver Broncos. Because again, as with each game, there were positives and there were negatives. And obviously the rushing D was a big negative. Josh McCown's performance at quarterback, obviously far less steady, far less efficient, far less explosive than in the past three games. But anybody who didn't expect that, I don't know what you were expecting. Because the Denver Broncos had the number one defense coming into this game, even without DeMarcus Ware. I mean... I'm not sure Shaq Barrett didn't outplay what Ware's been doing. 
And so these guys are a really good defense. I expected it to be a lockdown. And frankly, I was kind of surprised that the Browns were able to score as much as they did. You know, there were a couple of really nice drives. McCown made, did make some really nice plays, but he did go full Josh McCown in a couple of spots. And it really, it really hurt him. In particular, obviously, the pick. I mean, that's twice now, at least, we've seen him just kind of throw it up toward a sideline, ostensibly in the act of trying to throw it away. And it falls right into the hands of a defender. And I don't really so much have a problem with him attempting to do that. But when you look at what he was looking at when he decided where to throw it away on that ball, there were three or four defenders over there. And if you're going to do that, get the ball on the ground or it damn well better get out of bounds. Yeah, I agree. I remember that play very well. And I thought the same thing. I thought even if he makes that throw, not throwing off his back foot or trying to throw it out of bounds, it might have still been picked. You know, that that was just a really bad decision under pressure, and that's, as we've talked about on here, that's something that he really has to work the limit this year. I think that, that was a key coming into the season was offensive line has to protect Josh McCown, run game has to get going so the play-action game can create a little more space for him, get the pressure away from him. But as we've seen, when the pressure gets to him, he has a tendency to make very poor decisions under pressure. Um, one thing that is a positive about, as However, do many quarterbacks, the way of that he's, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, when, when quarterbacks are under pressure, it's a much different game. It's completely different from just a seven-on-seven seven out there. You know, when the bullets are flying, it's a completely different game. But one positive I think we've seen is he has bounced back. He's shown the ability to bounce back. I think last year, Brian Hoyer, for example, wasn't great at bouncing back. It felt like the once he made a mistake, a lot of times the mistakes would just accumulate and keep going downhill I think McCown's shown a little bit more mental fortitude um he hasn't been excellent or great by any means but he has bounced back a little better than some quarterbacks would and I'll give him that but the mistakes the crucial mistakes under pressure throwing the ball up when nothing's there that has to stop he has to just have faith in his punter have faith in the defense and just take a sack in those situations yep and and of course taking sacks in that overtime period I, I got to say, getting the ball on the 39 and then going 13 yards backwards, mm. that's brutal. Yeah. I mean, that, that, is, that yeah. is failure to close. That is lack of any belief in yourself. That is the other – let's also tip a cap because it's also the Denver Broncos are really good on defense especially. Um, but there's just no way around the fact that the Browns were given 45,000 opportunities to win this game and they crapped all over every one of them. And, and frankly, yeah. being real about it, Neither one of these teams, in my view, deserved to win. This was one of those games where the league office should have discretion to give both teams a stupidity loss because they each just tried all day to give the give the game away to the other team. It was one of those it was one of those games where you just neither team could get out of its own way. I mean, Manning was throwing ugly picks, which he's doing with some regularity this season. I mean, let's not pretend this is Peyton F. Manning as we've known him. And so, yeah, it, it was it was upsetting from that standpoint in that here they are, they've got an undefeated team on the ropes, and they just can't throw that last punch. And that is, it's inevitably frustrating. But it's also, to me, that is sort of the task in the NFL is to, when you're rebuilding a program, you have to get to the point where your team can close those games out. And look, if Josh McCown's your quarterback, you're probably not going to be closing a lot of teams out. You're probably, if you're winning, going to have a lot of really close nail-biting wins. And so I think we, we have to recognize at least where this team is in its, in its structural building process. And I know nobody wants to hear that because it's exhausting losing and it's no fun. But 
look, it's all the old cliches. Rome wasn't built in a day. It's a process, all that stuff. However long you think it ought to take, it's never going to be fast enough for your preferences. But look, as so many of us saw via Twitter last week, or this week, yesterday, to be precise, um, Mike Pettin is, for the moment, in terms of winning percentage, the winningest coach for the Cleveland Browns since 99. So this is as good as it's gotten, folks. Perhaps note why. And when I, ask, when I say that, I mean they've been in every one of these games except for that Jets game, and let's be real. They, were lot, they missed their starting quarterback after one series in that game, and frankly, most of us were pretty pleased with how the backup played when he came in. So it's like I struggle to really get overworked about how bad they are. I don't think it's that, and I don't think they're really close, but I think they're a competitive team, and I think, I mean, I, I, I still like the direction that I think Pettin's trying to go with this thing. I don't know that it's all going to work. I don't know that he's ever going to win a Super Bowl, but I, I do think this is one of those situations where people are being just way too hasty about what is always going to be an impossible process if you keep restarting it every two years. Because if you keep changing everything you're doing, the people you draft have to be different, the people you bring in in free agency have to be different. The coaches have to be different. And it takes so long to get things in order that you are begging for three more years of the same crap when you fire someone. So, and if you don't believe me, ask the Jacksonville Jaguars or people old enough to remember 20 years of Cleveland Browns history. But how about a couple of the positives from this week? Because I think there were some. Number one, the continued good play of Travis Benjamin. Now, let's temper this with... It was a serious disadvantage having Travis Benjamin and the other tiny little wide receivers we have on the outside against the likes of Aqib Tlaib, and we saw that real early with the pick six that pretty much put this game in the hands of the Denver Broncos from the start, and, uh, and Chris Harris on the other side, who's one of the most underrated corners in the league. I mean, they really had trouble getting off the ball, but nevertheless, nine for 117 by Travis Benjamin, and how about the little guy going up down the left sideline and making the play at the catch point? Yeah, I was impressed with Travis Benjamin. Uh, it, it's amazing how he makes body catching work so well. That's something that's always stood out to me about him. He he doesn't drop a lot of balls, but he body catches everything. Everybody always talks about body catching being so terrible, but he makes it work. Even on that jump ball, he didn't extend his arms at all. He just went up and, you know, caught it, tucked the ball into his shoulder pads. It's amazing to me. But, yeah, he, he is he's proven to be a threat, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing – how much he actually gets this year because he's he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. I'm interested to see if they re-sign him, um, if they let him get to the market and then yeah. see what his value is out there. I'm interested to see how that plays out. Personally, I would I would want to re-sign him, keep him. It's hard to let guys that you've developed and talented guys like that, let, you can't let them go, per se. Uh, so I think that they need to keep him in the organization. But I was impressed with him for the most part. I did notice in some key spots um, him especially just struggling to get off the press coverage. And, yeah. And that was something I he's thought tiny. when the town was holding. <laughs> what? He's tiny. What are you going to do? Those are, the, I said he's tiny. Those yeah. are huge corners out there on that team. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was something that I noticed at times where McCown, he's surveying the field, standing in the pocket, holding the ball a little too long, but you know, it's hard to really expect him to do too much when you know that the receivers probably aren't doing a great job of separating. Yeah, they were the not. They were not open. I was watching that. I watched. I rewatched the tape. You know, the coaches or the all twenty-two from uh, from the NFL, and 
I, I mean, guys just weren't getting open. I mean, and in some cases, they were barely getting three yards off the ball before the pass rush was home. So, yeah, that's an issue. And obviously <laughs> that, that speaks to one of the things that everybody thought was a little bit unattended to this offseason and last offseason was a big wide receiver on the outside. Now, they did, in theory, attempt to address it a couple of ways, but I don't think you can fail much more thoroughly than giving Dwayne Bowe $9 million to sit on the bench in a sweatsuit and drafting Vince Maley at, at round four and cutting him in the preseason. So they've obviously utterly failed in that regard. Um, but it is nice that a homegrown, home-developed talent like Travis Benjamin is showing that he can play in the league. And here's, you know, if you notice, I don't know if you saw, Brendan, it sounds like you didn't, but there was a really interesting article. Well, I won't say really interesting, but there was an encouraging uh, post by Mary Kay, despite some of her other foibles with which I've been somewhat critical. But she made a, did a post about Travis Benjamin, and there were some good comments in there from Travis about, look, I love it here. My wife loves it here. I want to be a Cleveland Brown. I think they want me to be here. You know, it was all the stuff you would want to hear from a prospective free agent. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, obviously there's some, you know, there's some, you know, contractual reasons to speak like that at this point. But, hey, great. Let's go test that. Let's get this guy signed up and be a part of the core going forward because, no, he's not your number one wide receiver. But this is a guy who can make a lot of plays. And if you've got somebody attracting coverage – on the other side, he's going to make a hell of a lot more plays. And so I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about the future for Travis Benjamin, and I'm hopeful that they'll do something about it here in the next few weeks. But at any rate, a frustrating loss to Denver, obviously. Another game that they could have, perhaps should have won. And uh, story of our lives. So two and four, as we say, at the one-third mark. I mean, surprisingly, at 272 passing yards a game, they're ranked ninth in the league. I don't think anybody saw that coming. 25th in the league at 91.8 rushing yards a game. That's no good. But they're 12th in the league in scoring offense and 23rd in the league in scoring defense. So a lot of things going differently than I think everybody was expecting it to go. I think most folks thought they'd have a pretty good defense and that they'd be out here running the ball, trying to keep games kind of low scoring and within reach. And that, that just, frankly, has not been the case thus far. So to me, it'll be interesting to see sort of how the Browns and opponents adjust to each other going forward, because clearly the Browns need to get a whole lot better running the ball because you just, you just can't continue putting entire games on the shoulders of Josh McCown, especially when, again, we know what the weapons are as much as we like Travis Benjamin and as, as solidly as, as Gary Barnage has played. Um, it's still not an offense that's really threatening anybody or scaring anybody per se. It's just one that's sort of out scheming and, and, and out, I don't know, outlasting some of their opponents and so out executing. Yeah. Yeah. Out executing in a lot of instances. Um, looking forward to this game against the Rams. I, uh, yeah, I don't like this matchup (laughs) and I'll, I'll give you a few, (laughs) I'll give you a few reasons. Number one is the obvious. They are awfully, awfully dangerous up front on defense, and they they do it more or less with four guys most of the time. And of course, they've got great ones across the board. And and I know you know you have a a couple of things to say about one in particular, and and so I'll let you do so in a second. So I, I worry about their defensive front against. I don't think the Browns are going to run the ball against these guys if they couldn't run it against anybody else. And then the flip side of that is on the offensive side of the ball, I think the Rams do a couple of things really well that the Browns have been particularly susceptible to so far this year. And obviously one of them is running the ball, and I'm scared to death of Todd Gurley this, this weekend given what he's done in the first couple of weeks of his young career. 
And then the things they do with a guy like Tavon Austin, which they don't get him the ball 15 times a game, but when they get him the ball, it's on the move. Often it's short over the middle or flipped out of the backfield. And the Browns have really struggled to pick up coverages in some of those situations. And I just feel like as little faith as I have in the offensive staff over there, they've done some things in recent weeks that I've seen with, with Austin in particular that I think can give the Browns some trouble. Yeah, um, I've always been a fan of Tavon Austin. Um, going back to West Virginia, I mean, the games that he had, what he showed on film there is just dynamic, explosive ability. I think he finally has an offensive coordinator that knows how to use him. That running element with Todd Gurley as well, you know, you can run some fly sweep motion with Tavon Austin to attract the backside defensive end and run the ball in the middle with Gurley. And I think that's that's tough to defend when you do that stuff. You know, you can do a lot of creative things with pieces like that. And Gurley is just terrifying when you consider how bad the Browns have been in run defense. I wouldn't be surprised if Gurley broke some kind of records in this game with the way that the Browns run D has struggled so badly. If they if they can't get off blocks and set the edge this week. Wouldn't, wouldn't be the first time Gurley's we've seen that as a, Browns fans. <laughs> yeah, his, Gurley – Unless they do something and make some major changes with personnel or scheme, just maybe simplify some things, I think that's been an issue so far. I think guys thinking too much in the front seven has been a big issue, not playing fast enough. But unless they do some things to just change something, adapt the scheme somehow, I think Gurley's going to have a huge game this week. And I agree with you. It's very concerning, uh, the matchup is. Yeah. On the other hand, the Rams' offense – they're not putting up huge numbers. And, you know, they're 31st in the league in terms of scoring and passing yards. They're 13th running the ball. So you know what they're coming out to do. They're coming out to do the same thing that the Browns supposedly were supposed to do, run the ball and play defense. And, you know, they're 2-3. and three. This is not some team that everybody needs to be fearful of. They've scored all of 84 points. So to me, this is a game where if the Browns stick to the kind of thing they were doing early in that first drive against the Jets – what they did against San Diego in particular, what they did against Baltimore. I think that's the kind of thing that's going to be reasonably successful against this defense. You have to be able to be patient. You have to be able to limit your mistakes because this is not a team that's going to get out in front of you and run you off a field. So really, limiting mistakes becomes, to me, the premium issue. As long as you limit your mistakes, you're going to get enough points that you ought to have a shot to win this game. Would you agree with that? I would agree. I think... The, the issue with that is the front that the Rams present. I just think that their defense is so athletic, fast, up front. I think you kind of alluded to it, but I loved Aaron Donald coming out of pit. I, I wish that the Browns would have drafted him instead of Justin Gilbert looking back now. Of course, <laughs> I think we can Gilbert always still that. has time. <laughs> yeah, of course, but I'm saying at the time, yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of people thought that the D-line was a strength. I thought it was okay, but when you have a player like Aaron Donald on the board, it's hard to pass him up. He fell all the way to 13. The Rams took him, and now he looks like he's going to have an all-pro type career. Uh, he's just a dynamic game-changer on the D-line. They also have Robert Quinn. I've always been a big fan of Michael Brockers. Uh, they just they have athletes all over that defensive it's line. It's just and, havoc from and left Aaron to right. Exactly. And, and those guys, you know, they're the type of players that you want to double-team, especially Donald and Quinn, but you can't double-team double two guys. You know, so someone's going to get one-on-one matchups, and they're going to win and, yeah. more often than not. And their third and fourth guys are awfully good. So it's one of those exactly. situations where you just have to, you have to 
be buckled up and ready to go for the full 60 minutes. And McCown has to go into the game knowing that you can't have that crap this week because this is a game, yep. this is a team that, frankly, the Browns should feel like they ought to beat. But, you know, there's, there's no getting around the way they've lost games so far. And so they don't have the right to go into an opposing team stadium right now and feel like, all right, we got this. They need to go in and play from start to finish. And, and that's one of the things, actually, that I, I have liked about Petten's teams is they, to me, there, there is no quit in this team. I mean, this is a team that is there for the full 60 and, and in some cases more, obviously, so far. So, um, but let's, you know, you alluded to something. Um, the defensive line coming into the season and for the past couple of years has sort of been viewed as a strength. And I think we have to come to the conclusion at this juncture that it's just really not. I mean, they've got some guys who flash from time to time and none of them are very consistent. Now, let me also address for a moment, you know, Danny Shelton's been a big topic of discussion this week. And I think, I think part of it is totally justified criticism, but a lot of it comes in my view from sort of, unbalanced expectations about what he was going to be immediately. I mean, look, I, I, I was, I'm as big a fan as I, of that guy as any, and that has not dropped one iota from that time to now, I think. Number one, I will say, like with a number of players, I'm kind of curious about how they're using guys. But, but more to the point, there are things that he needs to do better. The guy plays way too high, way too often. And I think when, sometimes when you're a college player of that size and ability and, and – frankly, motor, because his motor's as good as anybody in the league in the, in the defensive line. I, I think sometimes you can just get, get through people, and, and there's not a lot of technique necessary. Now, Shelton had some really good hand technique and such, but he's not, he, he never really needed to, to worry about low man wins, right, in college. Not, not often, anyway. And so that, to me, is where when he's getting beat, and he's been beat plenty of late, um, to me, it's because he's getting too high and because, frankly, I just feel like I feel like in some cases they're asking him to do things that aren't necessarily what he, at this point in his career, is all that good at doing. What, what are you seeing from Shelton? I, I agree. I think that he's, he's played high too often, and he hasn't done a good job of playing with leverage. He hasn't, been a, he hasn't done a great job of getting off blocks. That's another thing. Of course, he's expected to hold at the point, draw double teams, things like that, but still, once in a while, you have to get off the block and make the play. That's, that's just part of being a defensive lineman in the NFL. I don't care if you're 400 pounds or if yeah, you're it doesn't matter which pounds. Po- and it doesn't matter which position you're playing, right? I mean, but he, exactly. is, but he is pretty adept at that initial penetration to me. You know, if he's, I agree. You know, he, he can cause a lot of disruption, and that's why I think it's one of those situations where you need to, to make sure you're paying attention to what the whole scheme is and what they're asking guys to do because if he can do that, well, suddenly it becomes more interesting to stop asking him just to hold a double team, to me. Um, but, but so in the run game specifically, when you see him having to funnel outside, can you maybe explain for a listener kind of what his job is? Because he plays, you know, he'll play that nose position, and, and I think everybody sort of understands the nose as, okay, his job is to eat up the center and a guard. But I think it's a little more complicated than that, especially when, when teams are running that, that stretch play or the outside zone. It just, you know, sort of, for somebody like me, dumb it down <laughs> to what the nose tackle is supposed to be accomplishing. Well, for one, it, it depends on what the, gap, what the scheme is up front. Because when I watch the Browns, something that stands out to me is they have some guys are one-gapping, some guys are two-gapping. 
So there are times when Shelton's going to be two gapping, which is what you alluded to. That's holding at the point of attack, trying to control two gaps at once and not letting the running back get through either gap. So basically he's controlling his man. A lot of times the guy that two gaps is going to line up head up on the lineman. So he would be the, the true nose tackle zero technique. And is that, so is that it would fair be to his say, role. Yeah. And is it fair to say that in that situation, it's extremely technique heavy? Yes. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yes. You have to, you know, you have to punch initially. You have to fire out low. You have to maintain a low pad level. You have to bend your knees and you can't play high because that lineman has, you know, he's just firing out low at the snap. He has an advantage on you. He knows the snap count. So if he fires out lower than you, low man wins. He's going to knock you back just on initial punch, initial contact, because these are NFL linemen. These are grown men. You know, you can't just come out there and <laughs> try to <laughs> outmuzzle people. This is the part that blows my mind. I feel like a lot of times we say things as fans that sort of sound like something around the, the you know, something to the effect of, why doesn't the team just do blank? You know, it's so easy. Why don't they just do X, Y, or Z? And, I, you know, to me, look, the other team gets paid too. And as you say, these are grown men and in some cases really, really good NFL players. Like when, when a rookie nose tackle, no matter who he is, gets pushed around by the Ravens guards, I'm never going to be surprised. You know what I mean? Like that's what they're paid for. Exactly. And so yeah. to me, I think there's just – Look, nobody wants to hear patience, but I'm going to have some, and I'll see if it works out for me. <laughs> I'm not going to tell everybody else what to do. Um, but again, going back to this Rams game before we pick the the scores, how you know I, I haven't I have to admit I haven't studied the Rams in depth. I've seen all their games. Um, I haven't studied them in depth in terms of scheme, and I'm sure given your schedule this year, you're not doing a ton of that either. Um, but when you think about no. the personnel um, on the Browns' offensive side of the ball versus that Rams defense. You know, they've really struggled to come out. You know, they've had some slow starts, the Browns. And I'm wondering what you would be thinking in terms of, you know, coming out and trying to get some scoring on the board early in a game like this where, because look, if the Browns could score on a first drive, it changes the complexion of these games because the Rams don't have enough to just go out there and score all kinds of points. And you need to be able to put these guys in a position where they can't just run it down your throat all day. So if I'm Mike Pettin and I and you're John DeFilippo and I tell you, John, we got to get out this week. What are you thinking in terms of personnel matchups for the Browns that might be advantageous? I think one thing is it's from the start. I, I'm going to try to pass the ball. I don't really have a lot of confidence in the Browns running the ball a ton on this front, as we discussed earlier. They have great players across the board. They have great athletes. I might be wrong about this. I have a lot of confidence in the Browns' offensive line, but I just don't think that the Browns are going to gas this team. I think that the better matchups are going to come in the passing game. I think on that first drive, I'm going to script my first you know, 10 to 15 plays. I'm going to have a lot of passes in there, a lot of motions. I'm going to be moving Travis Benjamin around, seeing how they're trying to play him, who's running with him when, when I motion him. You know, are they going to just have – their corner stay on that side of on the same side of the field and move a linebacker out like what are they going to do to him i'm going to take duke johnson is he's healthy right isn't he healthy well, uh, you know he health, healthy being a relative term it appears he's playing yes okay he's playing yeah so i'm going to take him i'm going to line up i'm going to motion him out wide and see how they line up to that are they going to put a linebacker on him are they going to walk out of safety are they going to you know put a safety on my slot receiver and put a corner on him I just want to see how they play these guys you know Barnage moving him around and 
I'm going to just try to dink and dunk my way down the field with these motions, quick passes. And once I get between the forties, I'm going to try to take a shot here and there. Um, use the off, use the run game as a change of pace. I think Robert Turbin, you know, he's a banger. He can gain you another yard or two after contact. So I think he would be a part of my plan on, on the first drive. But, uh, for the most part, it would involve a lot of guys touching the ball, a lot of motions, and a lot of just spreading out the Rams and seeing what they're going to do to me. Yep, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I hope to see it. I, I would agree. You come out firing. Now, There's you got to temper that because the Rams are awfully adept at getting home to the quarterback. But I think Filippo has shown in each game that he's he's capable of putting together a game plan that gets the ball out of McCown's hands quickly and, and efficiently with the chance to do some damage. So I'm hopeful we'll see more of that this week. I agree. They have to look at this game a lot like Petten talked about after the Ravens game that they had looked at that one, which is we're probably not going to run the ball all over these guys. And so we might have to throw it 50 times to win, which, you know, prior to the season would not have been particularly appetizing to me with Josh McCown at quarterback and still frankly isn't, but we've seen it work and we've seen it work against teams that are roughly in my view, as good as the Rams. So let's see what happens this week. I, you know, I'm relatively optimistic. I'm hopeful that they'll go out and put together another good performance on the road, um, be a little pissed off about the way that loss went down last week, and put this one away. So I will toss it to you, my friend. Give me a score for this weekend at St. Louis. I'm going to go 30-24 to 24 Browns. I think that they'll do enough in the passing game. I think the offensive line will keep Josh McCown clean. I think Travis Benjamin will be huge in the return game. And I think the Browns will win the turnover battle. I think Nick Foles will turn the ball over a couple times. There we go. I like it. I'm going to bring the score down just a a smidge. We'll call it 27-23. No, 27-24, Browns. Let's do that. (sighs) Let's get a victory this week, please, so I don't have to be listening to whininess about whatever we want to whine about every week. That's my complaint, my bitch. I saved it for the end. you got to at least give me that. Oh, I suppose we should mention. What the hell is Johnny doing? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we you don't have you to know, have any I think analysis. If, if it happened with, <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it happened with anybody else, I don't know what people would be saying. But of course, it happened to him, and he's a spark plug topic in the media. So well, and and uh, if, as long as a, he's not in trouble. Yeah, from a team perspective, he's also a quarterback, though. And you know, at some point, it just gets old. And and I mean, there was nobody as excited about having that guy as I was, but. I mean, this stuff can't happen. I, I, whatever it is, it can't happen. You know, I, people, I'm not here to defend Johnny, and I'm not here to crucify him either. Uh, I'm talking strictly from what I want from my team employee and my quarterback in particular. You know, my buddy Sen, who does the Football Sickness podcast with me, Sen Soga, he has this thing about, look, a knucklehead cannot be my quarterback. He just can't. And if Manziel, the bottom line is, he's going to get attention, right? He needs to know he's going to get attention no matter what. I, it's really hard. He's a, as, as Dansby said, he's a prisoner of his own life, but a, some of that's of his own making and B tough luck. That's the, that's the spot you're in. And a grown up understands those things. And so to me, it's really difficult to, to see these things happen. And, you know, I'm not, it's hard to criticize kids cause they're, I mean, look, you'll understand this in 18 years when you're my age, but he's, He's really young, <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter. This is the NFL, and it's a professional job. And if you want to do the professional job and get paid like it 
and he's already been paid like it, then you got to act like a professional. And getting arrested or getting stopped on the side of the road or having someone in your life that you can't trust to behave themselves or to, to allow you to behave yourself, I mean, all those things are choices. And so, look, at some point, he has to stop doing it. And so it'll be interesting to see whether they give him enough leash or whether they've, they've had it. And obviously, as you say, if he gets in any kind of trouble, um, I think that'll be the end of it. But we'll see it play out. I don't really want to, frankly, talk about the backup quarterback unless it's about how he came in and won a, day, won a game and saved the day. So until further notice, we won't. And that is all I have this week on the Browns Note Podcast. This has been Episode 30. This is Week 7 of the 2015 NFL season. That was Brendan Leister at Brendan Leister on Twitter. You can follow me, Ryan Burns, at FTBL Sickness. Any last words, man? Nope. There it is. (laughs) Talk to you all next week. Go Browns!